today on Walk in Truth, we explore Esther chapter 5. Esther has decided to make a stand, but now it's time to take that stand. It's one thing to decide to do the right thing. It's quite another to do it. Well, Esther is going to enter into the royal palace, and it's going to be a question of whether the golden scepter will extend to her, and it does. And she stands by grace today on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. We are doing a message called Standing by Grace, or Standing in Grace, you could say. Esther 5, we continue to move verse by verse through the book of Esther, and we have this incredible moment where if you've been with us, you've kind of held your breath since the last time we were together because Esther has decided to take a stand. Perhaps she has come into royalty for such a time as this, but she still has to wrestle with her humanity. She still has to wrestle with whether or not she's going to take a stand. And it's so cool to know that God allows us to wrestle with our faith when we're having when we're at a crossroads, when we're having to make a difficult decision, when we maybe sense God placing us in a divine opportunity, but we still have to wrestle with whether or not we're going to believe, whether or not we're going to stand. Those are all very human things. And I think God, I know God allows us to wrestle with our humanity and to wrestle with our faith and to even say like the dad in Mark chapter 9, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I can sense your hand is here. I can sense you opening doors. I can sense you, you know, giving me courage, but I still have that part of my humanity. You know, I I know what I should do, but I don't always feel like I have the power to do it. And that's where the the idea of grace comes in. Let me just explain. So there's two words that I want to put before you theologically, just to think about it going into this message. Okay. And they're, they're the same word, but they're in Hebrew and Greek. Okay, so in Greek, the word for grace is charis. It's spelled C-H-A-R-I-S, charis. It's a beautiful word that speaks of the benevolence of God. It's the goodness of God. It's grace, we often say, is unmerited favor. But charis has a different meaning. It, it has a theological, what we would call soterio- soteriological meaning, which means it has to do with salvation, that we're saved by grace. It's a gift of God. It's not by works. So we receive it by faith. So that's one meaning. But grace also has a secondary meaning in the New Testament, and it's the idea of power. So once you're saved by grace, God gives grace. And in this sense, it would be like this verse. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Now, Jesus said that to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul's obviously a believer. He's obviously a mature believer. He's an apostle. He gets divine, you know, scripture from the Lord. And yet he was going through something. And when Jesus uh, addresses his situation, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. So that in this secondary sense, grace is power. And you could say it's, it's power from God to you. It's power from God to you to help you to stand. Uh, grace could be pictured in the armor of God. It could be pictured in this, the infilling of the Spirit of God. So that's the Greek word, charis. 
Now, in Hebrew, the word for grace or favor is ken. And it sounds like the name ken, but it's actually spelled C-H-E-N. And if you would wanted to pronounce it as a Jewish person would pronounce it, you'd have to go ken, ken, right? And so you can get on your computer and look it up. How do you pronounce grace in Hebrew? Ken. And you got to have a little bit of that, whatever that is, phlegm, I guess. You got to have some extra phlegm. <laughs> anyway, that's grace. And tonight we're going to see a woman who stands by grace. And anytime you're going to make a stand for the Lord Jesus in any situation you're in, whether you're being tempted to give in to a sinful situation, whether you're in a spot where God's been asking you to share your faith with somebody and it's intimidating, or maybe you got to take a stand in terms of a, you know, maybe there's a moral issue going on in your family, at school, at work, and the Lord's calling upon you to stand. Well, that's kind of what tonight's about, standing by grace. Father, as we open your word, May you open our hearts to your truth. May you open our hearts to the power of the Holy Spirit, to the grace that is not only saving grace, but it is grace that is keeping grace, and it is grace that will help us to stand. It will give us the strength, and I pray that Esther's uh, stand tonight will inspire us to be brave, to lean into you for the power we need to live out what you've called us to be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's look at verse 1 of Esther 5. Now it came about on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood. Let's pause there for a second. The third day is the third day of the fast. Remember, this is where the Feast of Purim comes. And if you're familiar with the Jewish feasts, you know, we all know about Passover and perhaps you've heard about Hanukkah. Well, Purim is a, is a feast for Israel that comes from the book of Esther, and it's inspired by Esther's story of standing by grace and standing for her nation. And here, the third day is the third day of a fast, which is uh, talked about in the previous chapter. If you go back to chapter 4, look at verse 14, we'll revisit a few of these uh, famous verses. Mordecai says to Esther 4.14, If you remain silent at this time... Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And you and your father's house will perish. And of course, her father's house is actually Mordecai's house. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty or come into the kingdom for such a time as this, 4.15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. She said, go assemble, 16, all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way, so a three-day fast. And thus I will go to the king, which is not according to the law. You can't come unsummoned. And she says, and if I perish, I perish. Chapter 5, verse 1 picks up this idea of the three-day fast and tells us now we have fast-forwarded to the third day. It's the third day of the fast. Now, if you've ever fasted before, maybe you fasted a meal or two, maybe you have even done a multi-day fast. And a multi-day fast is challenging enough. Getting past the first day is hard. Day two is hard. You can kind of hit a stride uh, 
when you're into a multi-day fast, when, when your body just kind of accepts it and other things kind of kick, kick in physiologically. But usually if I've ever fasted before, I'm at least drinking water. So at least I have water and I can, if hunger pains are hitting me really hard, I can guzzle a bottle of water and that can kind of, you know, at least uh, keep them at bay for time. But imagine not eating or drinking for three days. That's, that's difficult. That's, that's, that's a serious fast. And it's the third day of the fast, and that's what Esther has experienced. She has uh, not eaten or drank for three days. It's the third day. And on that day, Esther put on her royal robes, and she stood. I kind of got my title from verse 1, where Esther takes her stand. She stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's rooms. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room, opposite the entrance to the palace. Now, I don't know if we know for sure if the king facing the entrance into the, the, the uh, palace proper could see her, if there was some lattice work, or if we imagine like a big door that led into the, the royal throne room and that Esther had to pause at the door and, and kind of, you know, collect herself. And you could, you could feel the, the tenseness of the moment, the, the defining moment. Esther has said that she's going to stand, but now it's time to stand. It's one thing, you know, to put your name on a list, to say, okay, I'll do that, uh, to, to say, okay, I'm willing, but now when the moment comes, that's, of course, the big moment as to whether or not you're going to stand. We're told in Ephesians 6 that we are, we are to do everything to stand and there to put on the full armor of God. One author puts it this way, the transformation, the transformation of Esther's character from a person of weak character to one with heroic moral stature and political skill proceeds from that defining moment when she decided to identify herself with God's covenant. Esther assumes the dignity and power of her royal position only after she claims her true identity as a woman of God. It was on the third day. In the Midrash, the miracle of deliverance through Mordecai and Esther is compared to events in the lives of Abraham, Jacob, and Jonah, which also involve three days. If you're interested, you can look up Genesis 22.4, 31.22, and Jonah 1.17. In all three cases, major Bible characters come to a crossroads on the third day. It's on the third day in Genesis 22 that Abraham lifts up his eyes and looks and sees Mount Moriah afar off and realizes that he's going to go and offer his son Isaac. There's a situation in the life of Jacob that has on the third day when he's running from his uncle Laban. And Jonah 1.17 says it's on the third day that Jonah prayed. And that's when the, uh, he was in the belly of the sea monster for three days and three nights. And he comes out of the fish. And if I was just to say to you, having studied the Bible, as you guys have for many years now, m many of you, three days reminds you of what? The resurrection. And so, in some way, scholars would argue here, and this comes from some Jewish sources as well, that some sort of transformation has happened to Esther in the process of the three days. From the time that she's confronted, she says, hey, if you go to the king unsummoned, you die. 
to Uncle Mordecai, or uh, Cousin Mordecai, I should say, saying to her, you know what, if you cower back, if you let fear win the day, don't think that you can hide somewhere in the palace and you're going to get by. And I want you to imagine for a second if Esther did not respond. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Did you know God's name is not mentioned once in the book of Esther, but his fingerprints are all over it? The famous verse, and who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this, tells us that Mordecai sensed God moving in the darkest of times. This is a story about ordinary, everyday people taking a stand and becoming vessels through which God saved a nation. The story is filled with satire and seriousness, but it ends with celebration as God turns things around for good as only He can. Get your copy of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching of the entire book of Esther for such a time as this. Yours as a thank you for your financial gift of $30 or more to Walk in Truth. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. You know what, if you cower back, if you let fear win the day, don't think that you can hide somewhere in the palace and you're gonna get by. And I want you to imagine for a second if Esther did not respond, if Esther said no, if maybe she said yes, but then when the moment came, she cowered in some room or decided I'm not gonna go or whatever. How would the story be different? I don't know for sure. We've got another story, uh, you know, Jonah who does run from God, right? And God turns him around and all of that. But we just don't know for sure. And I wanna ask you to consider your story tonight. Because some of you are at a defining moment in your walk. Some of you are at a crossroads. Some of you have just started to get serious about Jesus Christ. You've just decided to really identify yourself with the new covenant, uh, with being a Christian, with saying, you know what, I'm not going wa to walk in, in two worlds, or I'm not going to sit on the fence anymore. And your story is going to change based upon whether or not you're all in. We are in a prayer meeting just uh, tonight before we came out here, and uh, one, of our, one of our leaders had come across a Gallup poll, and he said, you know, uh, this is something he mentioned as he was reading the stats in front of us, that uh, they, they've interviewed a bunch of professing Christians and found that only 12% of professing Christians are really serious about letting the Word of God change their life in some substantial way. Did you hear that? That's 12%. That means 88% of the respondents are not serious about God's word changing their life in some substantial way. If you're wondering what's going on with Christianity in the United States, can I say to you that right there is the issue? It's, it's Jesus saying to us, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Now, it is true that we all wrestle with our humanity and it is true that sometimes we fail to do what we even want to do because of the wrestling with the flesh and the world and the devil. We all know that. But it all starts with a willingness to be willing. And if you're not even willing, if you're polled in some Gallup poll and you say with the 88% others, no, I'm really not open to some significant change happening in my life by the authority of the word of God, then we got a problem, friends, right from Jump Street. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
We got a problem right there because if you come in with that attitude, then you might as well put a deflector shield around yourself and just, just admit when you walk through the doors that nothing's going to really penetrate you on any deep level. Now, knowing you the way that I do, I know that's, that's not you. I know you come in here and, you know, I know a lot of you personally, and I know you come in here and you buckle your seatbelt and you say, okay, here we go, right? Here, here comes the word of God, right? And now, now I can decide what I want to do. Now, now I can decide if I'm really going to be serious about it, you know, bringing change into my life. It doesn't mean you're not going to wrestle with it. It doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle. It doesn't mean you're not going to go through times when, you know, you're a brand new Christian and you're wrestling with even knowledge of what you should do. But the writers, the Jewish writers, would talk about Hosea 6-2, this three-day period, and they would say that they would, they would grab some of these thoughts in the Midrash from these ideas. And here's what it says. It says, Hosea 6-1 and 2, Come, let us return to the Lord for he has torn us, but he will heal us. He, was, he has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. I would submit to you that Hadassah or Esther, her Persian name, Hadassah, her Hebrew name, has had a resurrection of sorts. And her resurrection has taken place in one of the most difficult moments of her life where she's decided to stand and she's only going to stand by the power of God. And if I were to call you guys up and ask you to share your story about when you became a Christian and when you really got serious with the Lord, I think some of you might paint it in those kinds of terms. There was kind of a resurrection in my life, a change. You know, to, to resurrect literally means to stand up, right? It's the standing up. And spiritually speaking, that's what we're called to do. We're new creations in Christ and we're called to stand, to, to go from lifeless to full of life. That, that's the Christian life. Now, who gave Esther the power to stand? Of course, it's God. They're in the midst of a fast, implicit in a fast. Prayer is not mentioned as I mentioned last week, but they're, surely they're praying. Surely Esther's been praying for three days as she's been fasting. And I'm sure she's got her doubts. I'm sure she's been struggling with the reality of standing at that door right outside the palace and wondering if her life is going to end. She's a, still a, a relatively young woman. She may be, just be in her 20s, maybe even in her early 20s at this point. Isn't it amazing how a lot of the major heroes in the Bible were pretty young? when they were called to do some very major things. Um, archaeological evidence, by the way, shows in two base reliefs that they found, they excavated from a place called Persepolis, which is in the Persian area. They, they found reliefs or uh, these, these uh, drawings, if you will, of a Persian king, very likely King Xerxes or Ahasuerus, seated on his throne with a long scepter in his hand. These are in these ancient reliefs. An attendant is behind the king, behind him seated on his throne, and it's a soldier holding a large axe, which affirms the biblical account that if you went to the king unsummoned or you did something that displeased him, there was a man ready to chop your head off. This is no joke. 
This is what this woman was facing at this moment. Was going in there and not knowing if she was going to live or die. She said it in her own words. If I perish, I perish. And that was very real. That's not just some bedtime story. That's not just some once upon a time. This is historically, archaeologically verified. And these kings, you never knew what they were going to do. They weren't all the most stable people on the planet. They weren't. There was, you know, in some of the most famous world leaders of history, emotional stability was not their long suit. Just because they conquered lands and peoples and were military geniuses doesn't mean they were stable in the rest of their lives. You're just hoping that Xerxes had his coffee that day, you know, before you came in unsummoned. And so she puts on her royal robes. And she stands. Isn't it interesting? It's ironic. Her people are mourning, but she dons the robes of royalty. You know, they've been mourning and fasting, but she has to dress in the regalia of the queen. And by the providential hand of God, she is the queen. Even though she's a Jewish young woman who have, would have no right, no authority, not even be in the vicinity to approach this Persian leader. God has made her the queen of Persia for such a time as this. Don't forget it. The only reason she could put on the royal robes to begin with is because God providentially has led her to this point. And I'm sure she can retrace the steps, maybe even after that three days of fasting and say, I've gotten here simply by the hand of God and I'm going to wrap myself in the royal robes. And we are wrapped in the robes of royalty by the power of Jesus Christ. He grants us those who mourn in Zion. He gives a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Turn to your right. Go to Isaiah 61. That's what I just quoted, but I want to show you the rest so you can mark it. You're going to go to your right. Uh, pass up the Psalms and Proverbs. Keep on going a little bit more. Isaiah 61. Let's pick up the account at verse 8 because this is beautiful and it kind of goes with the, the mourning motif and then the royal robes and what God gives us. And this is something that Jesus quoted when he was reading in the synagogue. And here's what it goes on to say, 61.8. I just quoted, quoted verses 1 through 3. For I, the Lord, 61.8 of Isaiah, love justice. I hate robbery and the burnt offering. I will faithfully give them their recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Then their offspring will be known among the nations, their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them will recognize them because they are the offspring uh, whom the Lord has blessed. Ten. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. Turn back to Esther chapter 5. Esther has donned herself in the robes of royalty. But I want you to see that she's wrapped herself in another sense in the power of God. And every time you spend time in prayer, 
Every time you open up the word of God, every time by faith you put on the armor of God, every time you ask the Lord to fill you with his spirit, to give you his eyes and his heart, you're being wrapped with the royalty of the power of God. In fact, we have in us the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. The power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Yes, it's true. If you're a believer, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God himself lives in you. And he can give you the strength to do the impossible today because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Isn't it amazing that Esther is facing what seemed to be almost certain death, but she does it on behalf of her people. She risks everything. And it's encouraging to see somebody like Esther, who really was a normal, everyday person, probably very young at this point, do something incredible, something brave by the power of God. Don't you want that to be your life? Not just the humdrum, not just the mediocre, not just going to church, but doing great things for God. That's the plan that he has for all of us. Well, friend, it's incredible to think that we are celebrating Easter this month. Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday, the most important holidays really in our faith. Well, the question is, where will you be celebrating? If your answer is nowhere or I'm not sure, well, I'd love to invite you to spend Easter with me and the incredible Living Truth Christian Fellowship family in the city of Corona. We have two Good Friday services, multiple Easter services on Sunday morning, including a sunrise. You can learn more about that. You can get directions. You can find out all the information on the church when you go to walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Well, tomorrow as we conclude the week, you'll get to hear exactly what happens when a nervous queen, Esther, comes face to face with her king. Until tomorrow, God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.